You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, everyone. My name is Deborah Fu, and I will be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 12 today. I'll just give you a minute to thumb through your, your Bible if you choose. If not, you can see it behind me. Verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the internal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. These are the true words of the living God. Hi, morning everyone. Morning. Uh, my name is Shi Hao, and I've got a confession to make this morning. And that is, I'm an achievement addict. So I like to do well. I like to collect accolades. I like to chase after the next job well done comment from people around me. And to be honest, it's not about being well liked. I like, I like to be competent in what I do. Um, and it's not about seeking people's approval because actually the nuance of that for me is that I like to be respected. I like to be respected in what I do and therefore I chase after these achievements in order to be seen as competent. So this is the main source of my discontent. This is what God spoke to me um, a year ago when I was doing my own personal retreat um, and he spoke to me that I am quite a discontented person. And so I feel like I need to figure this out and learn what exactly it means to be a Christian and contented. So I'd like to share today my own thoughts and reflections from 1 Timothy chapter 6. So this is kind of like a commercial break between two sermon series. We just finished the Psalm of Ascent and now we're moving to the final lap of X. So I'm like standing in the gap of two sermon series. So I get a latitude and liberty to you know, preach whatever I want. So this is my chance today. Right, so maybe let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for gathering us here today. Um, we pray that as we look into First Timothy, Lord, you will, you will speak to us on what's on your heart to what's on our heart. We pray that we will understand your text correctly, help me to preach it truthfully, and we pray that your spirit will really mold our hearts to, to love Christ, Lord. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the theme of 1 Timothy is that the gospel leads to practical, visible change uh, in the lives of those who believe it. The true gospel, in contrast to false teaching, always leads to godliness in Christians. So in chapter 6, we see that there are false teachers. False teachers were somehow using uh, godliness as a means of gain. They, they were using the church and the family of God as a means to further their, their material well, well-being. So, so Paul here is actually drawing our attention to contentment. That, that godliness with contentment is great gain. And that the desire to get rich, the desire to, to or the, the love of money, is a key stumbling block to contentment. So we can actually trace this contentment all the way back to, to Genesis. Adam and Eve, they were in the Garden of Eden, they had great abundance. They were given all the trees in the Garden of Eden to, to eat. But the irony is somehow that the serpent then made them dissatisfied with the abundance that they have in the garden. Because they end up being focused on one particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they could not eat. And then, you know, as history tells, here we are today. They ate it and sin entered the world. So we can trace that all the way back to Genesis. So what I want to share today in, in this text is I really want to camp on Christian contentment in this text and, and go beyond just example of the love of money that we see here. We often miss out on the abundance that we have in the gospel, the gospel riches that we already have as Christians and, and focus on those one or two things that we do not have. And that, that leads to our dissatisfaction, that leads to our discontentment and causes us to grumble and even complain against God. Because honestly, as Christians, if we can take hold of the eternal life that we are called to, because if we can remember and, and dwell on the abundant gospel riches that we have in Christ and the many blessings that we have, we can be godly with contentment. Right? We can be godly with contentment. Hence, the, the structure for today right, is what this contentment looks like, how godliness with contentment is great gain, and what it means to learn godliness and contentment from the passage today. So what con- this contentment looks like and why. So the first few verses tell us what a discontented person can look like, and in this context is the case of a false teacher. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So this person here, this discontented person, he's puffed up with conceit. He's prideful, right? And he knows nothing. He's filled with unhealthy cravings. He's obsessed with controversies and quarrels. And he also causes envy and covetousness in others. Well, this may not sound like many of us here. It sounds pretty extreme, you know, quite bad. But here's how we can all test our own hearts. So a few diagnostic questions here for all of us. First, if I had blank, then I would be blank. So fill in the blank, right? For instance, if only I had a child, right? My family would be complete. If only I had this job, 
then I'll be satisfied in my career. If only I had more time, then I can have a deeper devotional life with God. Another more, perhaps extreme question. If I were to lose this, blank, I will be absolutely crushed, devastated, and lose all meaning in life, if anyone has gone through that before. <clears throat> and perhaps a behavioral question. If you realize that you are often grumbling, often complaining a lot, then perhaps that is a sign. Well, that's it. I know that complaining is a national pastime in Singapore. But if you are going above and you know, over the average, then perhaps it's something that tells you about your level of discontentment in life. The source, the source of our discontent is really our inordinate desires. When we desire something too much and we desire God too little. When we desire something too much and we desire God too little. If our contentment is based on the wrong thing, we will not have that kind of satisfaction, that kind of joy, that kind of peace, confidence, security, and assurance that we are meant to have in Christ, that God intends to have for us. Right? Like Adam and Eve, we miss the forest of abundance for that one single tree. And let me, let me quote from C.S. Lewis. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So what drives our discontent here in Singapore? Now, I'm not going to sing, so don't get me wrong. I'm going to offer you four suggestions, four Singapore idols that drive discontent here. A bit about myself, I'm born and bred in Singapore, except for the few years I was working and studying overseas. Right? I spent almost 20 years working in the government. I spent all my life growing up in Ishun, if you know what that means. So I'd like to think that I'm some kind of a, a, a authority on the topic of Singapore, and this is another accolade I would like to claim today. <laughs> so these four idols, they form the cultural environment, the ambient temperature, or the background radiation that we are living in, right? that predisposes us here in Singapore, whether it's Singaporean or not, to discontentment. So, rank in fourth place, certainty and stability. Certainty and stability. We, we pride ourselves here right, in being able to anticipate all forms of problems, plan ahead, get the vaccination in time, right, and solve them in advance. It's a good thing, right? It's a great thing, no doubt about it. But underpinning that, right, it's really a deep desire for control. A fear of uncertainty. A fear of adverse circumstances. It's also a desire to avoid all forms of disappointment, to avoid failure, right? To avoid any form of unmet expectation. So what then happens is that we end up putting too much security in our wonderful plans, right? So discontentment, frustration, and despair Bear happens to us when things don't go according to these plans, right? So that is certainty and stability. It gives us a sense of security. It makes us frustrated, discontented when it fails. Third, 
efficiency. Efficiency. It's about being productive, right? It's about getting more things done, trying to achieve more and more with limited resources. And that's the crux, with limited resources. Because in Singapore, right, we are known to be efficient. Agree? Right? That's the, that is what we pride ourselves in. Right? What, 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 what this means is that it creates a scarcity mindset. Right? Because we often remind ourselves that we are a small country, we are vulnerable, we have limited resources, and that I fully agree. But that creates a scarcity mindset. Because it's always, eh, time and money, no enough. Right? We really need to work harder, work faster. Well, if you have been in a long queue somewhere, overseas, waiting for a long time, right? and then you talk to your friends and you wonder to yourself, wow, I tell you, if you're in Singapore, or you've done it this way, this way, and that way, confirm faster. <laughs> Correct? So if you have been through that thought and had that conversation, uh, then you will agree with me, efficiency. So we can truly see how this scarcity mindset creates discontent in us. Rank number two, <clears throat> material success. Material success. And it is the context that here we see in 1 Timothy 6, greed and money. The apostle highlights the danger of the love for money and the desire to be rich. In our case, material well-being in Singapore is really a key definition, a key defining factor of what it means to be successful here in life. Well, in this small, crowded city of ours, everywhere we go, we are bombarded by images from advertisements, by the cars that we see, the houses that we drive past, and we're constantly reminded by the things that we don't have. We're constantly reminded by our own lack. It's all very in your face, right? as compared to, let's say, if you're in a big country, staying in a countryside. So again, of course, obviously that creates discontentment in our hearts because then the solution is that I need to acquire more and more. I need more and more possessions. So that is material well-being. Now, rank in top place. Any guess? Anyone? My favorite, meritocracy. <clears throat> meritocracy is our top idol. No prize for meritocracy, but this is one I'll elaborate a bit more. This is a long-standing organizing principle of the Singapore system. To reward individuals based on their hard work, based on their talents, based on their gifts, right? based on their achievements. It is an efficient self-sorting mechanism whose unintended consequence really is to create a perceived hierarchy of people within Singapore. Right? A hierarchy based on, well, the few things I mentioned above, on our material success, on our wealth, Right? And also our qualifications, our credentials, and the perceived prestige of our jobs. These are signifiers of dignity, signifiers of human value, of significance, and our own worth. If you are lower in this hierarchy, right, then you strive to work harder, climb faster, do better. If you are higher on this hierarchy, what then it does is that it breeds expectations of privilege, of entitlement. So no surprise when you see in the news of you know, security guards right, being mistreated by luxury car owners and condo residents. Privilege. So no surprise that you know, it causes us then to compare ourselves with people around us, with those higher and below us, and inevitably that creates discontentment. So growing up, fortunately, unfortunately, my parents liked to compare my sister and I with their friends' children, right? To benchmark how we are doing. You know, we'd be like, eh, shi hao ah. You know ah, so and so, auntie son. Wow, eh, he always help out with housework at home, no? 
what are you doing? Why are you not helping our housework at home? You know, that kind of feeling, right? It makes you feel like, wow, I'm not doing enough, I'm not good enough, I need to be better, I need to do more discontentment. And now as adults, all right, this might be a bit, maybe of a bit of a brutal truth, we ask about each other's jobs, right? Hey, so what do you do for work, right? No doubt, some are honest, general questions that we really want to know about each other, but sometimes, perhaps, at the back of our mind, we are trying to situate that person in this hierarchy and perhaps where I stand in relation to that person. Wow, hey, you Google software engineer, wow, solid. Wow, you army officer, wow, sorry. My sympathies to you. Poor thing. So there's this you know, implicit, intense competition right, in Singapore where everyone is trying to get ahead of each other through their personal achievements. And you know how that feels? I'll give you some examples. How good that can feel if you're doing, doing better and getting ahead. So for instance, you go to an amusement park, you have a bit more money, you'll buy a fast pass. <laughs> and as you jump straight to the front, walk through the queue, and avoid those long queues, feel good, right? That's what I mean. Now, I just had a baby. When you have a baby, it allows you to gain a special queue at immigration. And then you're able to go ahead. And as you walk past, you look at this look of envy from people. It's like, wow. And you walk past and you go up to the front of the queue. And as you walk, you have this insidious feel of superiority. Right? As you walk past, dangerous. <coughs> so, so meritocracy has this dynamic, right? That ensures its own destruction, to be honest. Because it's every man for himself. It makes everything harder and more exhausting because we all have to achieve more and more. So in a way, achievement is the alcohol of our time. Achievement is the alcohol of our time. And hence my earlier confession. So, what is godliness with contentment? My second point. Next verses. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So let's try and unpack this key verse, which is, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? The Greek word used for contentment here means self-sufficiency. It refers to a frame of mind which is completely independent of your external circumstances, independent of all outward things and which in itself carries the notion of happiness right in that frame of mind. Where, where my satisfaction is independent of my circumstances, it's a life free of any dependency, nor anything in creation whatsoever. And godliness, probably more familiar with all of us, is about being godly, meaning like God, to reflect His character, His nature, through our devotion and obedience to Him. So when you have godliness with contentment, you replace the self in self-sufficiency. You replace the self in self-sufficiency with God. And we get God-sufficient, right? So we are to be Christ-sufficient. So again, C.S. Lewis puts it this way, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. Let me say that again. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. God is infinity. You add one, two, three, or four to infinity, you still get infinity, right? Mathematically speaking. So that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. So this does a few things to us. If God has given little, contentment is satisfying and thankful for that little bit. 
If God has given much, similarly, contentment is satisfied with and thankful for that. So if, if we embrace that we have within, that, that what we have within our relationship with Christ is everything we need for peace and joy at every single moment of our lives here on earth, imagine how free we will be, how free we will be. And this kind of content, contentment is a means of great gain because satisfaction is based not on the gifts, but on the giver. It is not constantly and insatiably seeking for more. Right? It understands that man brings nothing into this world and can take nothing out. So verse 7 actually echoes uh, Job's famous cry in uh, Job's, the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Therefore, we should not act as if material possessions, achievements, credentials, or good reputation are key to a good life. These are important, no doubt. Good things, good values, but the good life is about being Christ-sufficient through godly contentment and not in acquisition of more things. That's it. Contentment is not detachment from this world, right? Because it's not that everything here is seen as bad. And neither is it non-attachment, right, in a Buddhist sense, where it's about letting go of all that's external to us. It's also not about saying that, that you know, only the spiritual is good or that only character and values matter because that would be the Greek philosophy of Stoicism. Because truth is, God also created things for us to enjoy. God created the world in the beginning in Genesis and called it good. So instead of letting go and having nothing to hold on to, we are to hold on to Christ, to be Christ-sufficient, and that our source of our contentment is Christ. The Bible invites us to come and taste, that, taste God's goodness. Jesus invites us to come and enjoy Him. It's not some airy, fairy, abstract stuff that I'm talking about here. So for instance, in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Or Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Very visceral, very tangible language used here. Or in the Gospels, Jesus says that he is the living water, that everyone who drinks of him will never be thirsty again. And he also says that, you know, he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never go hungry. So he came so that we may have our life and to have it abundantly. So this is how we know that Christ is the source when we apply this verse from Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, initially, it might be a transactional way of looking at this verse, right? And we apply in the way you apply it. If I delight in Jesus, then he will give me anything my heart wants. Right? If, then. Transactional. Then you upgrade uh, to a more mature understanding. Delight in Jesus, and he will give me what my heart should want. My heart may want something else, but once I delight in Jesus, he will give, right, or make my heart want what I should want. Right? That's the more mature version. Third level, the best which is probably the more appropriate one. So rather, it is about actually Christ, if Christ is truly the source of our contentment, right? if Christ is truly the source of our contentment, then delight in Jesus and he will become what my heart truly wants. 
he will become what my heart truly wants. If you see the difference. So for when our contentment is based on what we can have and get in this world, we open ourselves to all sorts of temptations and problems that we see in verse 9 and 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Right? So the problem then, if you are discontented, is that you encounter powerful temptations, senseless and harmful desires, of which money is a root, not the root, of all kinds of evil. Hence, it's important to examine our hearts what these other idols could be. So you plunge into ruin and destruction, you wander from faith, you experience great sorrow because you are pierced with many, um, trans- uh, many pangs. And you certainly cannot keep what you have gained. For naked we come, and naked we shall go. But godliness with contentment is great gain because our gain is the opposite of all these. Godliness stays with you, you can bring it to eternity, and these are treasures that you store up in the next world. You avoid temptations, you keep the faith, you experience less sorrow, and true contentment gives you a quiet and restful heart, whether your lives are calm or chaotic. So, learning godliness and contentment. Verse 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. In a way, there is no formula. Right? We cannot do contentment. Right? It is taught to us. It is taught through rich biblical teaching that we see here. False doctrine produces worldliness, and sound doctrine produces godliness. And I, and I believe that God also teaches us through providential experience. We must learn it. It is created in us not done by us. It is a product of a renewed and transformed character often forged through difficulty and tribulations. And it's kind of like wisdom. Right? We, we pray for wisdom. We often pray for it. Of course, God can give it to us through prayer, you know, through the Spirit. Though, though the way that God does is not simply giving you the content of that, of that wisdom when we pray for it. But, but more often than not, it's to make us become a wiser person through life experiences and in due course to exercise wisdom. So it's kind of like that, right? When we talk about contentment, it's taught to us and we must learn it. And, and similarly, that's what Paul says in Philippians 4 and he says that, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Right? I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And this content word is the same that is used in 1 Timothy 6. And that's how Paul learned contentment. Well, it is something that, that we ought to learn and, and that we will learn through experiences. We also should actively flee from temptations, pursue and fight for it that we see in verses 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Flee these things to run away from the love of money and all the other idols and temptations that so entangle us that might be signifiers of success that I explained earlier. And pursue what God values rather than what the world values. If meritocracy, then we are reminded that we are all created equal. Right? Our talents, 
are gifts and grace from God, right? To be used to serve Him and one another in the body of Christ and not so much to differentiate ourselves in this hierarchy. Hence, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness and love. Values, probably rather useless in the eyes of the world, but because you know, they don't distinguish us in the meritocracy, right? But they are valuable in the eyes of God and in God's kingdom. If certainty, we exercise faith. We exercise faith and trust in God's plans and sovereignty rather than in our own plans and our own hard work. If efficiency, we know that our scarcity mindset is at odds with God's kingdom of abundance. So it's infinite and can give immeasurably more than what we can ask for. And we pursue steadfastness and we endure. And if material success, we're reminded that we can enjoy all blessings in Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. While Paul doesn't mince his words, it's going to be difficult. Right? He uses a war analogy. And as Christians, we are all drafted into this battle. Right? It's not going to be easy because it means going against the cultural flow, going against the system and the cultural currents in Singapore. And take hold of eternal life. Take hold of eternal life. This is the greatest gift that we have in Jesus. And this is what is also the most certain, more certain than everything that we have here. It's outcome more confirmed, chop stamp, guaranteed, right? That all our plans, all our hard work and all our achievements can ever bring us. Because the truth is, if God's kingdom is a meritocracy, then we as sinners would have no chance, no chance at all. We will be the most despised, wretched, and outcast of any society in this world. But in Christ, in God's eyes, we are the top lawyer, the top salesperson, the most filial son, and the bestest father. This gives us rest from endless striving, right, to prove ourselves in front of our bosses, our colleagues, right, to gain approval from our parents or even our spouses. What we can possibly achieve and accumulate in our 80 years of life on this our eternity is but a drop in the ocean compared to what's in store for us in eternity. We are given something that we don't deserve and that is grace. Right? If who we are and what we have achieved is grace and all about grace, then there's nothing that we can boast nor any right to be entitled to anything. So put our faith in Christ, make Christ our treasure, the source of our contentment, the basis of our satisfaction because Christ is the ultimate gain that cannot be taken away. He came to give us life and to have it abundantly. And let's do it together as a community in ECP, in the presence of many witnesses as in this text. We all make this good confession in our baptism, as we will see later in the afternoon, and also in our church membership. And we promise to help each other to carry one another's burdens and to learn contentment together to the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just pray that you help us to worship Christ and worship you above and every other thing. Help us to learn Christian contentment. Help us to be contented and be satisfied in Christ more than any other thing. Help us to love you more and more each day so that we may reflect your glory and be more godly. And may our godliness and may our contentment be a wonderful witness to the world around us and be a great way to show the way to the kingdom. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. 
You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg. 